Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive, and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. Welcome back, everybody, to Man vs. Machine. Uh, we are post-NFL draft. We had a great time inside Kansas City, Dario. I got to meet you for the first time in person. We had the entire player profiler crew at the house live inside Kansas City. We had media credentials. We were, had a team down at the draft. We got Theo had a picture with he I took a couple pictures, didn't he? But he, he got a picture with um, Bijan, which was awesome. Yeah, the, the Bijan selfie. The Bijan selfie. He had, he had to flex on us for that one. Um, you and I were at the house working like madmen, typing away, getting the projections updated as the picks were coming in. It was it was definitely a a difficult task, but we were able to power through it, man a machine together, got it done. We were able to hammer it through. And you and I were agreeing on probably 90 plus percent of all these projections that were coming out live. I looked at you and you're like, yep, I agree. We're maybe off by a half a percent on some of these target shares or rushing shares. We were talking about how we thought this was going to play out inside the system with the coaches. Number wise, we were very close. We were posting it. The crew upstairs was giving us a lot of a lot of flack because of we are realists here. We're talking about what's happening inside these crews and making sure that they know that, hey, I get it. We love some of these prospects coming out of college. But they're in the NFL now. Let's talk about what's available. Let's talk about target share. Let's talk about opportunity. Let's talk about expected run plays. Let's talk about expected pass plays. And let's work all this magic together. Man talking about the coaches and all of the different systems and what's going to affect it. The machine working through all the algorithms. And boom, here we are. Man and machine combining forces again, Dario, because we agreed on all these. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is dangerous, right? We When we get in this zone... Uh, it's like almost too powerful, right? You just got to, everyone else has to watch out if they, I think that if this doesn't convince people, then I'm not sure what could, but yeah, I, I really, I think like you said, I mean, we've got, we're going to talk about basically a running back, a receiver, a tight end, one each, each position, one guy whose landing spot we really liked, talk about his projection and then vice versa with one guy we really, you know, feel kind of uncertain about because of the landing spot, even though we were more excited for them pre-draft. So I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, before we hop into it, I want to just talk about Kansas City briefly. So we all met in Kansas City. We were cooking all night. Dario, <laughs> I find out on the second night, Dario doesn't have a blanket <laughs> for like for like two days. So I didn't know he had a blanket downstairs the first night. The second night, we, we had a, a sewage issue at the house. And so Dario moved his bed to the couch. <laughs> the infamous sewage issue <laughs> i think it's already been referenced on like every podcast that we've done since then <laughs> and so it's I, I wake up early on on day two I'm, I'm downstairs i'm getting ready to do the game plan with maddie to talk about the landing spots from round one and and i see dario asleep on the couch he's got this like little jean jacket over him trying to sleep on the couch as everybody's loud downstairs and making coffee and he comes up to me and i you know i'll, I'll, I'll starry-eyed and says hey billy can i uh sleep in your bed 
uh, I, I just would really like to get some sleep. And I said, yeah, absolutely. All right, go ahead and go upstairs. He goes, this, and then I wake you up at like eight o'clock in the morning, just yeah. for reference <laughs> Which, in central time. I'm coming from the West coast. <laughs> It was, and so Dario goes upstairs. He passes out. I get done with the game plan. I'm getting all prepared to get our station set up for projections for, for the next day. We're, we're ready to rock and roll. I, I'm like, where's Dario? So I go upstairs to my bedroom. <laughs> Dario's passed out, like like legit out. Like doesn't even hear me walk in. I've already used the restroom. I've already closed the door. Like I move things around, shuffling around. I walk up and give him a little tap on the shoulder. Hey, buddy, we got to get up and go. And he looks at me eyes crossed like he looks like he just came out of this slumber like sleeping duty style and i'm like how'd you sleep and he goes that's the first blanket i've had in two days <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's all you need to know <laughs> but had a blast we were able to get a lot of cooking done we had a good time with some barbecue um but enough about us in the draft although it was fun i could talk about it all night yeah i mean that, that was one thing i didn't know about you was uh that you're basically a chef like billy was out here making full full-blown breakfasts every morning the the ribs that you were making on saturday night when i was leaving for the airport i was i was so sad that i was missing out on that those smelled so good yeah, they they ended up turning out pretty good i tell people don't judge me up by cooking inside of an airbnb i didn't have my my regular uh, set up. <laughs> but let's go ahead real quick before we jump into these rookies. That's what people are here for. Let's take a quick word from our sponsors. When we get back, we're going to jump, 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 can't even talk, Dario. We're going to jump into the running back position. Let's take a moment to talk about Underdog Fantasy. Now, many of you have already signed up, thousands have signed up from Player Profile already over the years. Underdog has supported us since 2020. Much of what you see on Player Profiler is because of Underdog, because of their support. Get the Underdog app. Plug in that promo code UNDERWORLD, and they're making the NBA fun. Their NBA pickums. It's changed my Wednesday night. It's changed my Sunday afternoon. I used to play Underdog just for the best ball drafts. I mean, the best ball drafts are amazing. These draft rooms fill so quickly, and you can win life-changing money. You want to take advantage of all the sleepers we talk about on this show? Well, what better place than in an Underdog draft room to do that? And I recommend taking your underdog play to the next level by diving into their NFL pickums. It's important to correlate those NFL pickums. You can pick both the quarterbacks and the wide receivers to exceed expectations. Correlate them, and you can five extra payout. Bada bing, bada boom. Underdog Fantasy. The promo code is Underworld for an instant deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Underdog is the truest friend of the underworld. Bada beam, bada boom. We're off to the running backs here. First one on the chart, Devon A. Chain. He comes in as our running back 35, Dario, in PPR. He was drafted, pick 3.21, the Miami Dolphins. Best comparable player in the database right now is Chris Johnson. And he has that speed that Miami loves. They have the Tyree Kill speed, they have the Jalen Waddle speed. A chain comes in with a 4.32 40 yard dash, which is 99th percentile inside the database over at Player Profiler. 80th percentile speed score, 91st percentile in the college dominator. And he has a 14.7% college target share, which was 93rd percentile. The, the downside to a chain, he's a bit undersized, five point or five foot nine, 188 pounds. First score, when you consider all the height and agility, he comes in at 18th percentile. Not really built to be a three down back. However, we do have him projected to be pretty efficient this year inside 2023. We have him splitting carries with Jeff Wilson and Mostert with 30% rush share. That comes in about 126 carries, 567 rushing yards, 4.4 touchdowns on the ground. 
He has right now projected for an 8.5% target share, which equates to 50 targets, 36 receptions, 290 receiving yards, and 1.6 receiving touchdowns. Dario, you and I both looked at each other. You called this pick, by the way. You said, how sick would it be if A-Chain lands on the Dolphins? And it was like half a round before it happened. And then right when the name called to me, you looked at me and I was like, no, it didn't happen. It happened. <laughs> Talk about yeah, why you love I him mean, as well. The reason that I was excited for this, you know, before it even happened was that A-Chain, fastest back in the class, 99th percentile, 40-yard dash. I mean, yeah, the speed score is not quite as impressive because he's obviously a little bit on the lighter side, but that doesn't matter to Mike McDaniel. Like, Tyree Kill is far from being the biggest wide receiver in the league, but it doesn't matter. I mean, he was able to lead the league in, or I guess he was second in receiving yards, second across the board in fantasy points. He was, I think that Mike McDaniel is an offensive guru. Any running back should be happy to land on his team. And then on top of that, the competition at running back for this team is one of the weakest in the entire league. I mean, Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert are both kind of dusty veterans. They've both been in these Shanahan McDaniel systems before, and they've both had injury problems before. So it's kind of just a perfect, perfect mix of open competition i think he's going to very much get the chance to earn plenty of touches from mostert and and um and wilson like you said i mean we're projecting him for where'd it go a chain we're projecting for 126 carries and 50 targets right from the jump he's i think that he has a very strong chance to become the leader of this backfield and then on top of that you factor in the fact that the rest of this offense is just speed, speed, speed. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are probably one of it, one of if not the best duos in the NFL at wide receiver. And now opposing defenses are going to have to worry about one more layer in Devon A chain and the speed that he brings out of the backfield. I mean, I'm sure that McDaniel's going to get him going in some really gadgety ways. I think between those three offensive weapons, this this offense is going to be completely insane for opposing defenses to try to stop and I think that we're going to see we're going to see at least two 60 plus yard touchdowns from HA in this year if not more that's like an absolute minimum ADP over underdog right now is 134 it's climbing though uh, where do you expect his ADP to settle once everything is said and done you think it's like a like around 6 through 8 kind of guy or what do you expect I think it'll settle somewhere in the 90s I mean that's where we saw a lot of these running backs that kind of I think are those high upside committee backs right I mean Ramondre Stevenson last year I remember he was going around 120 he got steamed up to the 90s by the end of the summer and James Cook similar deal I mean he was going around the 100th pick on underdog last summer so I think that 134 right now for a chain is no doubt going to go up I mean I think we have him ranked like somewhere in the 80s in our raw seasonal rankings and then in our underdog rankings which do bake in adp somewhat we have him ranked at in what was that 119 because it, it has the adp affecting it right now yeah 119 so we're 15 spots ahead of adp on him we're gonna stay well ahead of adp on him i can guarantee that yeah it's it's interesting so for those of you who aren't familiar with how our rankings work uh the man and the machine sit here we do our projections together um, I, I run through the model first. Dario tells me where I'm right and wrong. They get tweaked. And then from there, they get punched into Dario's algorithm, which also considers um, 
ADP for that given platform. So if we're higher on a player, they still stay higher than ADP. Uh, it might dip a, maybe like, you know, six, eight, nine, ten spots, depending upon how far down average draft position is. So that way you're not overreaching on a player. Right. So if we're 50 spots on a player, we're not we're not telling you to take them 50 picks ahead of where they're going in ADP. We're trying to get you closer to where they actually go in ADP while also guaranteeing that you're going to be able to lock them in. So uh, it does take a little bit of time for them to adjust once the draft does happen. We'll go through and probably manually adjust some of these players as well. We notice them being too low compared to where we want them being drafted when ADP hasn't yet caught up. You know, prime example here, Devon A-Chain. But I would say that, you know, if you continue to follow our podcast here on Man vs. Machine, follow the rankings over at Player Profiler, you will notice a trend when we're talking about a lot of these players. Let's move along to a running back that we were both very high on prior to the NFL draft. However, landing spot, not a great spot. And that is going to be Israel Abanacanda. And we, we love his, his athleticism, right? He was uber athletic. He came into the draft 4.540 yard dash, 82nd percentile speed score, 97th percentile burst score, right? He's a plus size back at 5'10", 216 pounds. He has that nice, you know, size and speed combo. Average six yards per carry in college, 97th percentile dominator in college. The bad part, he wasn't drafted until pick 509 to the Jets. He's going to be playing behind Brees Hall. We saw how electric he was last year. Yes, he's coming off injury, but we expect him to be the lead back once he's fully healthy and on the field. He's probably playing behind Carter. He might be playing behind Bam Knight. This is kind of a mess here for Abanacanda. How far up this depth chart do you think he rises? Because right now the projections have him as RB79. 10% rush share, which is 37 carries, a little over 200 rushing yards, 225 rushing yards, 1.7 touchdowns, only 2% of the target share, 12 targets, 7 receptions, 68 receiving yards, and about a quarter of a touchdown in the air. How far up does he climb, and what does it take for him in order to become fantasy relevant? I mean, I think for starters, he needs to have just a terrible season from Brees Hall in terms of injury luck. Right? I mean, we've seen guys come back from major knee injuries and struggle to get healthy, but all the reports we've heard regarding Brees Hall have been very positive, right? It's, it was a very clean ACL tear. He's, you know, unlike Javante Williams, there is a much more optimistic projection for Brees Hall's health, but in order for Israel Abanacanda to be able to, I think, contribute in fantasy this year, he needs things to go south for Brees Hall and basically win an open competition with Michael Carter and Zonovan Knight to be Brees Hall's backup because Michael Carter and Zonovan Knight, they haven't been bad in what we've seen in the NFL and what we've seen fantasy wise. I mean, Zonovan Knight had a couple weeks where he was chalky in DFS last year. Michael Carter was very passable as a rookie before he got Michael Cartered. I mean, that kind of became a saying because of him for the drafting of Brees Hall replacing him. So I think that it's going to be a very competitive backfield. I mean, like you said, we have him projected behind all three of those guys in terms of carries and in terms of targets. So I think that Israel Abanacanda is, I mean, he's probably going to make the roster. They spent a fifth round pick on him, but I wouldn't be surprised if he scores like less than 20 fantasy points total this season. It's going to be a, a long climb for him to be relevant. And another thing too, you mentioned how optimistic we were about his profile. He did get worse draft capital than I think many people hoped or expected. I think if he would have got gone on day two, like somewhere late in round three, like Devon A-Chain, we're having a very different conversation. But if you're a fifth round pick to a team that already has a stable of running backs, 
even though it's the Jets and we expect them to take a step forward on offense this season, I don't think that it's enough that, I mean, unless you're in like a 30-round draft, you probably don't need to be thinking about Israel Abanacanda right now. Great comments there. We had a question here in relation to what I discussed about the average draft position on the site and rankings. The question is from Jamie here. It says, so should I compare the seasonal ranks to the underdog ranks to see the players you are higher or lower on? No, the easiest solution is to just look at where we have them ranked and then look at what their average draft position is. If you see it significantly higher, you know we're higher on them. And just know that as ADP changes, those ranks will probably change as well. And then vice versa. If we're significantly lower on them versus ADP, then you know that we're lower on the player. So that's the easiest solution. And you can also feel free to reach out to us on Twitter um, and we can answer those for you as well. Or on Discord. Hit us up on Discord as well. Um, next one, Dario. I'm going to put the glasses on for this one because this guy looked clean inside the draft, Dario. So for the remainder of the podcast, let me make sure they're straight. I'm wearing the stunner shades. Mine aren't stunners like his, but these are my pilot my pilot shades. These are my, my aviators. But Jordan Addison, love, 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 love the landing spot. Drafted with pick 1.23 of the Minnesota Vikings. They had a need for wide receiver after letting go of Adam Thielen for agency. We saw him walk. Team has 143 vacated targets in this offense, 1,100 vacated air yards. They're the number eight pass heaviest team in the NFL, according to our projections. Comes in with a 4.4940 yard dash. Best comparable player inside the database is Deontay Johnson, and it speaks to what he can do as a route runner. He has smart use of footwork to beat coverage. His ability to run complex routes also has punt return experience as well, which will be good for his playing time. The cons. He only has two touchdowns over his last seven games in college. He's, he's inconsistent at tracking the deep ball. He comes in with some mediocre or less than, than stellar you know, speed scores at 19th percentile, 37th percentile burst score, 31st percentile catch radius. Nonetheless, volume is king when it comes to fantasy football, and he's projected as our wide receiver 41 in redraft. He's the only rookie that we have projected inside the system right now for 100 targets. We haven't projected for Exactly 100 targets, 17% target share, Dario, 101, or sorry, I lied, 101 targets, 65 receptions, 803 receiving yards, and 5.2 scores. Woo, that'd be a pretty good year for a rookie. Oh, yeah. I think I've, I've made this comparison before, but this is just like when Calvin Ridley was drafted by the Falcons when they already had Julio Jones. It's another elite wide receiver who's going to be that 1B role. They're both slightly smaller, shiftier route running guys. I think, like you said, the biggest scare with Addison came on the day of the combine. I mean, at 173 pounds, you would really have liked to see him run closer to 4-4 flat. Instead, he ran a 4-4-9, basically a 4-5. And that, that was discouraging. I think it, it punished him in the draft stock. I think that he he was in the conversation to be the wide receiver one in this class until that happened on the day of the combine. But I think we shouldn't double count that as a negative right we already know that that's been baked into his draft capital the vikings know that about him and at the end of the day this is a guy who's like you said an elite elite route runner he mean he won the Boletnikov award as a sophomore then transferred to usc the best best college that there is and then <laughs> and then he you know he had i think he had a bit of a mixed bag that last year under lincoln riley because they he, he dealt with some injuries and then he also wasn't like completely in on 100% of the pathways. I think the injuries kind of limited his usage over the course of the season. But 
I mean, you talk about, oh, you said he had two game, two touchdowns in his last seven games. Dude had 17 touchdowns in 14 games the year before that. I would not be worried. And like you said, in terms of landing spot, in terms of projections, why we're talking about these guys as our favorites today, it's the fact that he lands in Minnesota where they had a clear need at wide receiver two, and they have a clearly pass-heavy offense. I mean, Kirk Cousins and Kevin O'Connell were more than happy to be top 10 in pass attempts last season. I don't see any reason why that changes. And we also know that he's not going to be the focal point for opposing defenses because he's going to be on the field with Justin Jefferson. So it's not like a situation where we're worried that he's going to be so great. I mean, it's like kind of like Drake London last year, right? Another receiver out of USC gets drafted to the Falcons in the first round, and he's immediately the best wide receiver on his team. The amount of defensive attention that he was receiving last year is not going to compare to what Addison receives this year because, I mean, you're never going to double team Addison. You have Justin Jefferson to worry about. TJ Hawkinson. And Hawkinson, too. I mean, Hawkinson took a bit of a hit in our projections because of this pick. I mean, he was slated for just an absolutely monster workload because the Vikings didn't have a wide receiver, too. Now they do have one, and Jordan Addison wheels up, baby. I'm not taking the glasses off there. I'm leaving them on the rest of the time. I'm, well, yeah, it wheels up. We're, we're flying. We're flying now. That's right. <laughs> I missed the punchline. God damn it. <laughs> All right. Receiver who we're not that high on, Michael Wilson. Oh, man. I, I love the talent, right? Six foot one, 216 pounds. You know, he had above average metrics. He had a 68th percentile speed score. He had a 76th percentile burst score, 79th percentile agility score, 73rd percentile Catch radius, right? College dominator, kind of middle of the pack as well, at 63rd uh, percentile. And and so overall, though, he lands here at pick 331, so literally the end of, of round three, over to the Arizona Cardinals. We find out that DeAndre Hopkins is, looks like he's staying now inside Arizona. I would have liked this a lot more had we known DeAndre Hopkins was gone, but as of today, it looks like they're going to continue to have DeAndre Hopkins. It looks like we still have Marquise Brown. We still have Rondale Moore. You know, we still have Ertz coming back from injury. We st- there's a lot of mouse to feed in this offense. I know as cliche as that sounds, it's true. Um, so not enamored by the landing spot, to say the least. Uh, he comes inside of our rankings here. Pull up the receiver rankings. Wilson comes in at... And keep going. Why does he for 108, Dario? Why don't you walk Ooh. us through the projection? That's rough. I think that one thing we have to keep in mind, like you said, there's so many mouths to feed in this offense, but it's also an offense that we're not expecting to be particularly good this year. I don't think that they're going to be as fast-paced or as pass-heavy as we've seen them in the last couple of years because Cliff Kingsbury is gone. So you have a big step back for the pass volume and play volume of that offense. You have a step back in quarterback play because Kyler Murray is going to miss probably at least six weeks. I'm pretty sure he's going to end up on the pup. And I think that they're going to have, they're going to have no incentive to rush him back because they're just going to be having a nightmare season with, you know, some combination of Jeff Driscoll and Colt McCoy as their quarterbacks early on. And then you mentioned it too. Deandre Hopkins has been the sort of looming piece over this offense in terms of how we project them for fantasy. And, He's seemingly not going anywhere. I saw that video too, where he was saying like, you know, who who said I'm leaving? So it sounds like he thinks he's staying. And I mean, we slotted him in ahead of Greg Dortch. 
in our projections. I think that that's fair if Rondale Moore stays healthy. Yeah. I think that, you know, Rondale and Dorch are probably going to end up, you know, blocking each other in terms of the routes they run and the way they're used. So I think that Michael Wilson's not going to be as affected by them. But as long as DeAndre Hopkins is healthy and playing, he's going to command a 20-plus percent target share of this offense. Marquise Brown has always been a 20-plus target share receiver. And then, you know, everyone's optimistic about McBride. You mentioned Ertz coming back. There's just too many pieces and not a good enough offense for us to be at all optimistic about Michael Wilson his rookie year. Some we're both optimistic about moving on to the tight end position is Sam Laporta. Oh, man, we both looked at each other when this happened. We just shook our head in agreement. We love we loved the landing spot. Detroit took him at pick 203 inside the draft. It addressed a large void inside their tight uh, inside the tight end core. Right. They had nobody well, so, after can, trading away. We've got to take a second to point out 203. That's the 34th overall pick in this draft. That's that's where yeah. Michael Pittman's been drafted. Like that's ahead of so many absolute studs. We thought Michael Mayer was going to be the clear cut tight end one in this class. And they drafted Sam Laporta over Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer ended up being the tight end three. So this is elite, elite draft capital. But go ahead. Yeah, elite elite draft capital, but it shows inside of his his metrics, right? 4.59 40-yard dash, 91st percentile for tight ends, 85th percentile speed score, 76th percentile burst score, 90th percentile in agility score. This team has 80 vacated targets in Detroit with the absence of Swift now. The only cons that I really see with Laporta is that he is a little bit below average, you know, for a, a tight end, comes in at six foot three, so a bit undersized. And, you know, when it comes to Catch success when challenged with challenge the balls. You know, he has below average catch success in, in that category as well. And he's very inconsistent as a blocker, also due in part to his size. So it may hinder him from seeing the field as much as we would like to see him in year one as a rookie. Nonetheless, he comes in as tight in 28 inside of our projections. 9% target share, which is pretty modest in my opinion. 53 targets, 38 receptions, 461 receiving yards, and 3.4 scores. I mean, much like the Addison landing spot, this is just absolutely perfect when it comes to a team that had a clear need on their roster, addressing it with a guy that we were already optimistic about as a prospect. Like when they traded TJ Hawkinson, the rest of the season, their tight end room was Shane Zilstra, Brock Wright, and then the other guy we had in this spreadsheet whose name started with a J. I can't even, I can't, I'm like totally blanking. Um, but they, they had three completely irrelevant tight ends who were, you know, occasionally getting a touchdown here or there. And, you know, I think a lot of people suspected they'd be drafting a tight end, but spending this draft capital on a guy who was so great in college. I mean, he if you see what he's able to do after the catch, the amount of tackles that Sam Laporta was breaking at Iowa, and he also led all the tight ends in this class at um slot yards per route run. So that's a key stat if you think about how tight ends are deployed in the NFL now. And it tells us a lot about how NFL teams are going to view him because if you're running a lot, if you're getting a lot of yards per route run in the slot as a tight end, you're basically another offensive weapon that the defense has to account for. That's like, you know, that's the stat that you always see Travis Kelsey and George Kittle leading the league in. So, I mean, he's been comped a lot to George Kittle, right? You have the, the Iowa, the Iowa tight end blood coming through and I, he's just been so efficient as a route runner 
and just going to be, I'm, I'm, yeah, like you said, we're very optimistic. And I, I agree with you. 9% target share is pretty conservative. I mean, there's Amon Ross St. Brown is in this offense, but there's going to be six weeks where Jamison Williams is suspended. And we've seen some flashes from Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond last year. They did sign Marvin Jones. So there are other receivers to worry about. I mean, they just they drafted Jameer Gibbs, who's probably going to get a ton of targets as well. But I think that Sam Laporta is very much going to have a chance to contribute as a rookie tight end, which we don't see very often. <laughs> they pointed out the receiver that we couldn't remember, or the tight end that we see his name. The reason why no one remembers his name, because he sucks. It's James Mitchell. Nobody cares. All right, let, let's move on to another tight end that no one's going to care about in 2023, and that's Darnell Washington. So we loved his, we loved his athleticism, right? Six foot seven, two hundred sixty four pounds, big tight end at a Georgia, taken at pick three point three zero inside the draft to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is great, very great because they need another offensive lineman, Dario, and that's yeah. what he is. He's another offensive lineman. He tweeted out he was what this what, what was the tweet that you said about him being the. I forget what the tweet was. It was hilarious about him. Yeah, I don't uh, him him. He, essentially, it was that he couldn't wait to contribute blocking inside of the offense, right? And like <laughs> for fantasy, we don't want to hear that, right? But he, I mean, at, despite all his metrics, right, ninety six percentile and speed score, we know he's going to be used more as a blocker in year one. They have already have Pat Fryermuth. He's going to be playing behind Pat Fryermuth. He's going to be used as a blocker in line. Not something that we want from a tight end in fantasy. So we we definitely moved him down our rankings in the preseason projections. What else and do you I guys say about him? Another thing to keep in mind is the reason he fell into the third round was because NFL teams were concerned about his medicals. So that's that's always a little bit of a red flag just from an overall fantasy perspective, too, because clearly there was something there that prevented or scared NFL teams from drafting him any earlier. I mean, he's talked about as one of the elite athletes at tight end in this entire class, but that didn't stop teams from waiting and letting him fall to basically the end of the third round. And like you said, this is a team that already has a pass catching tight end. It's kind of the inverse of Sam Laporta where Laporta is a little smaller than you'd like to see for a tight end, but that means he's a little bit more of a receiver and Darnell Washington is so massive that, you know, he's going to be deployed to block on a lot of plays for Najee Harris. So I think that, you know, we got actually someone in the comments here asking how does Darnell well, Washington help Najee's value? And I think Najee should be more efficient because they drafted, I mean, they drafted Broderick Jones in the first round, who's an absolute beast. And then they drafted Darnell Washington in the third. They're clearly making some investments in that blocking scheme. I mean, their offensive line has really struggled these last couple of years. So it's encouraging to see that for Najee's perspective. But I think for Darnell Washington's relevance in fantasy, it's going to it's going to take it's just going to take an, an injury to Pat Fryermuth I think I don't see any other path to to relevance for him how about you yeah, 100% agree and I agree it definitely helps Najee Najee should moved up in our rankings because like Dario said Broderick Jones added in round 1 I had Broderick Jones going top 10 I think I had him going to um I think it was to Chicago because they also needed help on the offensive line I had Joey Porter going to them in round 1 and they got him in round 2 I, I yeah. loved the Steelers draft. I think they had one of the better drafts inside, you know, 2023. But listen to what they did to help their offensive line. They take Broderick Jones in round one offensive tackle. They come back and take in the second round with their second pick. They come back and get uh, Benton 
Oh, sorry, this is on the defense of the ball because they also need help on the defense line. They come back, get Benton in the defense side of the ball. They also get Darnell Washington in the third round to help their offensive line, right? So they all they did was a draft offensive line and defense this entire draft. Listen to this. Offensive tackle, cornerback, defensive lineman, tight end, who's technically a blocker, linebacker, defensive back, offensive lineman. Love the draft because that was the need for this team. They already Absolutely. had Pickett. They already had a running back. They already had you know, receivers. This is exactly what they need to do. The Steelers went out and did it. I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I mean, if you think about from a team building perspective, a team like the Lions, people talk about how if you build a team from the inside out, strengthen the trenches, the, the offensive line first, and then add the weapons, that's how the Lions are building their team, right? I mean, they've had a really strong offensive line last year, and then they've added Jamison Williams. They've added Jameer Gibbs. The Steelers have been the opposite of that team building philosophy where they've drafted Pickett Pickens and Najee Harris, all with pretty high draft capital the last couple of years. And now they're starting to fill that offensive line to give those guys a chance. Cause I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if you watched any Steelers games last year, I was worried for Kenny Pickett's life. Like <laughs> that dude got nearly decapitated multiple occasions. Well, and so, I like the weekly rankings. I just kept moving Najee. Like the, the win every week was moving Najee below ECR because he couldn't run. It was, they had no room. They were just stuffing the box. They're loading up the box. It was, he was, you know, it just horrible, horrible, horrible cards he was dealt last year. Expect better this year in 2023. Well, Dario, you said before the podcast, we should probably have some honorable mentions here because I have a feeling we're going to fly through all of these guys that we have projected or, or we're going to mention in the projections. And I like to say that the machine was right because <laughs> he is the machine. So let's move on to the honorable mentions. Uh, back to the running back position. Let's talk about Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs comes in as RB number 18. Ooh, love it, love it, love it. It might be too low. We got to relook at this, actually. But he comes in as RB 18 inside of the projections. We have him right now for a 38% rush share. That is, you know, uh, second to David Montgomery, who's at 48%. Nobody's over 50% in this offense. Jameer Gibbs with 174 rushing attempts as a rookie, 784 rushing yards, 6.8 rushing touchdowns. But where does he make his money? It's going to be the passing game. Target share at 8.5%, 50 targets. We have projected for 38 receptions, 322 receiving yards, another 2.5 scores on the ground. He dominated college inside the, inside the college target share, 14.7% target share in college, which was 93rd percentile. Lions. Lions put their money where their mouth was. They moved him or they picked him up at pick 112. No one thought he was going to go this early. He does. We cannot ignore the draft capital that the Lions spent in order to acquire him. They clearly hated Swift. They moved on from Swift, <laughs> sent him to the Eagles. Gibbs steps into a massive workload now with a two headed beast inside this backfield. What else do you have to say about Gibbs? Yeah, I mean, I'll say that on draft night, this did not look like as good of a landing spot as it does now. I mean, we knew we had some pretty strong suspicions that DeAndre Swift would get traded, but you have to wait until that actually happens until you reflect that in the projections. Once that happened, I think Jameer Gibbs went from like running back 28, 29 maybe to running yeah. back 18. Like you said, that could be a little bit pessimistic because you have on the one hand a free agent who they gave $12 million to, $8 million guaranteed, and a running back who they drafted 12th overall who i think just with that pick you're probably it's probably 20 you're probably looking at 20 million guaranteed over the course of his rookie contract 
So there's already more investment in draft capital and in money with Jameer Gibbs. And like you said, he's an absolute weapon out of the backfield, just catching passes. He, I think, you know, I talked about yards per route run with Sam Laporta. I think pretty sure that according to the college yards per route run stats that I've seen, Jameer Gibbs was at the top of this class for running backs too. So he's a complete monster when it comes to catching passes. And like you said, no one thought he was going to be drafted this high. I mean, toward the end of the lead up to the draft, it was starting to sound like he might go round one. But I don't think any of us thought that that would be top 25. I mean, he was going to be probably, I mean, like Travis Etienne was drafted 25th, 26th overall. I think it was that sort of territory we were envisioning for Jameer Gibbs. People thought of Etienne as a pass catcher coming out. Gibbs is a pass catcher. I think that's what we all envisioned at the idea of Gibbs going in the first round. But to be drafted 12th overall by a team that also had the 18th overall pick. Like, the Lions could not stand a chance to miss out on Gibbs, and they traded away Swift. Like you said, 174 carries, 50 targets is our current projection. And, I mean, ever since draft day, it's been nothing but, oh, we got to move up Gibbs, we got to move up Gibbs. I mean, in Dynasty, in redraft, he's just the absolute hottest commodity. I think the reason that you and I both picked A-Chain when we talked about this being the premise for the show is because Gibbs was too obvious, right? Gibbs was like the easy answer for what rookie got the best landing spot. So he definitely falls into our honorable mentions. Yeah, I failed to CC Dario on my three players. So he picked three players and left the obvious ones there in case I selected them. Yet we both picked the exact same players because we failed. I failed to CC him. But that's that's how much in sync the man and the machine were with these projections, Dario. So I love it. That's why I said, you know what? It's, it's gonna, dangerous. Like I we're said, it's roll dangerous. With it. <laughs> we're just going to roll with it because we're so in sync on this. We have to talk about it. Uh, we have a question in here from, I think it's Ja Webb. Um, does draft capital count as much when the Lions reach like they do? I'm, it's a fair point. The Lions did reach. However, concurrent with what they did with Swift and move on from him, I think those two together say it all. Right, that they plan on using Gibbs, they plan on using him to an extreme, extreme amount. I would not going to say like to the Bijan level, right? Bijan goes top eight, but still, I think it's safe to say that Gibbs is easily the number two in this this draft class, and he has a real chance to to compete with Bijan in terms of total production, just because I mean, of the passing game. I think that the you know. The Falcons are less invested in Algier than the Lions are in Montgomery, right? The competition that they have to share their backfields with. One's a fifth round pick. The other one is a free agent that they gave a lot of money to. $12 million is not it's not a ton of money, but it's a lot for this running back free agency class. I mean, it was him, Miles Sanders, and Jamal Williams that really headlined that class. But I think that with regards to the reaching question, I think that when you look at what an NFL team does in the draft... That's when teams are telling you how they really feel about players. And maybe the rest of the league and public analysts might think that was a reach. But we also don't know if there was another team waiting to draft him in the top 20. I I mean, we think it's unlikely and we think it's a mistake from a roster construction standpoint. But I mean, drafting Saquon second overall was a mistake from a roster construction standpoint. And he still put up crazy numbers in fantasy. So that high investment means that that team is going to be very interested in using that player a lot on the field and that's going to lead to a lot of fantasy points there's no way around it speaking of fantasy points um dan had a question about the projections uh, a chain 
do the projections have A-Chain producing more than Addison? As of right now, it's roughly 20 fantasy points. Um, it's just because the involvement on the ground and on the air for A-Chain, we do, like we talked about earlier, um, we have A-Chain projected for... Let me pull it back up. We have A-Chain for 158 fantasy points and Addison for 176. And that's what am PPR. I looking at then? Maybe you're looking at half. Oh, you, underdog has half PPR. That's probably what you're the difference. If you're looking uh, at okay. underdog I'll, rankings. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So with so no, yeah, in PPR, the edge is to Addison by about 20 points. In half PPR, it goes back toward A chain. So it's very slight, but you're probably gonna have to draft them in similar areas. I think Addison's ADP is around 100 right now. And like you mentioned, A-chains are closer to 130. But I think that they're probably going to end up both in the top 100 for sure. One more question about Gibbs, and then we'll move on to our next honorable mention. Is there no concern with Gibbs and the Lions weren't really willing to get Swift heavily involved? Different kinds of players, but Swift essentially turned into a third down back and didn't produce much. First and foremost, we cannot ignore the draft capital that was just spent on Jameer Gibbs. I think that says enough between the two of them. Second, we saw that Swift was, you know, pretty much a glass house, consistently injured, wasn't in the in the coach's good graces. Um, I think they were afraid to get him on the field more because of that reason, and and they probably doubted his commitment, therefore reducing his workload. Um, we I joked around saying that, you know. Swift had probably, you know, slept with Deuce Staley's wife or something, but Deuce Staley's not there. He's he's now at the Panthers and they still get rid of him, you know, which was which was good for fantasy. But I think it just says everything we need to know about Swift. They didn't trust him. Um, they did not, you know, trust his health and they didn't spend the draft capital like they just did on Gibbs. I think those those all those things together, I think, say enough. And I think another point that's key is DeAndre Swift was drafted by the previous regime. In Detroit, Good point. the current general manager, the current head coach were not with the Lions when they drafted Swift and they have gone out of their way to draft Gibbs. So I think that look at the machine pulling out the so man points more about who, how they're going to use him and how much they, they how strongly they feel about him. I'm so proud of the machine talking about coaches over here and schemes. That's that's so <laughs> manly. It's not machiney. <laughs> All right. Last honorable mention before we we close the pod. Uh, Kendry Miller running back here. So Kendry comes in as our running back 57, right? Drafted by pick 308, heads over to New Orleans. Or New Orleans, I can't even say that today. Man, I can't talk today. What, what's going on? Um, this one, we, we love the player. We love the talent, right? And th- the problem is just landing spot. It breaks down to he's playing behind Alvin Kamara until we know about the suspension. They all go out and sign Jamal Williams, who was at $4 million a year, roughly. And so... There's also a tight end, Taysom Hill, who was vulturing Alvin Kamara. What do you think he's going to do to Kendra Miller? He's going to, of course, he's going to vulture Kendra Miller. So, again, just a lot of pieces on the ground already playing ahead of Kendra Miller, a lot of uncertainty as well with Alvin Kamara. Um, there's a lot to be concerned about. What do you think, yeah. Dario? Kendra Miller has, I think, if I had to venture a guess, he probably has the widest range of outcomes. Absolutely among the running backs in this class. I mean, you could say that maybe it's Zach Charbonnet because there's going to be, we don't know how that backfield is going to shake out. Maybe but I think, I think that it's Kendra because his floor is lower than Charbonnet's like Charbonnet is going to probably get at least 30% of the touches in Seattle, maybe yeah, 20. If he's just completely objectively worse than Kenneth Walker. But I don't think that that'll be how Pete Carroll sees it. But, but Kendra Miller if somehow Alvin Kamara avoids a suspension yet again, 
and he's stuck behind Kamara and Jamal Williams and Taysom Hill still stealing carries like he probably will, it's going to be very difficult for him to see the field. That's the worst case scenario. Best case scenario, Kamara is suspended for six, eight games, and he and Jamal Williams, I mean, they're kind of similar body types. They're both slightly bigger. They're both bruisers. So maybe he gets that passing workload. We know he's a little bit more capable in the passing game than Jamal Williams is, and he gets that value, those valuable touches and targets while Kamara is suspended, and he entrenches himself and does win a role by the end of the season. I mean, we've seen rookie running backs have massive championship winning weeks down the stretch because they've earned their way into a bigger role. I mean, Miles Sanders' rookie year comes to mind, but that's such a wide range of outcomes for Kendra Miller. It's really difficult to project him where we currently sit any higher than this because of that touch distribution in New Orleans. Yeah, and we looking at the projections, like we gave Kendra Miller a 24% rush share, and this backfield was so difficult to project, like you said, because Alvin Kamara, you have to give him at least 30%. We gave him 32%. We had to account for Jamal Williams seeing an uptick in carries once Alvin Kamara is suspended, so we gave him 30%. We slid... Kendra Miller at 24%. We even knocked Taysom Hill down sub 10%, which he's been over. We only gave him 32 rushing attempts, which is, in my opinion, probably low for what he has done in the past. And so 100% agree with you. Very, very, very wide range of outcomes. Like this could be a guy who ends up becoming the RB2 in this offense, could potentially become the RB1 in this offense second half of the season. And he might be a player that you can rely on down the stretch the most. Or, like you said, could be third in the depth chart and playing behind the tight end. And so there's so much risk baked into Kendra Miller. He's one of those players that you just have to know at ADP. You're going to risk it for the biscuit. He's either going to significantly outperform it or he's going to, you know, significantly underperform. And you have to be okay with that when you select him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that another thing to keep in mind is we love Kendra Miller in Dynasty. I think this is a good landing spot for him Dynasty wise because. Jamal Williams probably only has one or two years left of legit fantasy relevance. Alvin Kamara is in a very uncertain place, and we know the Saints get themselves in these ridiculous salary cap situations. And then, I mean, it was everyone thought it was inevitable that they would cut Michael Thomas this year, and then they didn't. So Kamara might be around for a little while longer, but I think that, you know, probably two or three years from now, it Kamara's gonna be 30, Jamal Williams is gonna be 30. Kendra Miller could have this backfield all to himself and we love his profile. So this is not one where we are completely saying don't draft the guy. Never think about the guy. We're not touching him in any format. This is more of a, we're a little bearish on the projections right now, but we still like the player. We still like the landing spot from a dynasty perspective. One question just because I want to post it. Cause I think it's funny. Any chase Brown love. <laughs> No, no Chase Brown love today. <laughs> no Chase Brown love today. That's Let's just it. say we think he's worse than Chris Evans, and he's he's got an uphill climb to being Joe Mixon's backup. And that is from the machine. I am the man. I agree. I am Billy Musio. You're also listening to Dario. Uh, is it, I always mispronounce your last name. Is it Offstein? Offstein? It's Offstein. Yeah. Oh, I was right the first time. All right, I should have just stuck with it instead of asking. Okay, well that is it, everybody. Glad you liked the band versus the machine talking about rookie projections. We'll be back next week as well. We'll see you all back then. Take care. Thanks for tuning in and have a good night.
Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all. Where's Dario? So I go upstairs to my bedroom. <laughs> Dario's passed out, like like legit out. I find out on the second night, Dario doesn't have a blanket <laughs> for like for like two days. So I didn't know he had a blanket downstairs the first night. The second night, we, we had a, a sewage issue at the house. And so Dario moved his bed to the couch. <laughs> the infamous sewage issue. <laughs> I think it's already been referenced on like every podcast that we've done since then. And I see Dario asleep on the couch. He's got this like little jean jacket over him trying to sleep on the couch as everybody's loud downstairs making coffee. And he comes up to me and I, you know, all, all, all starry eyed and says, Hey, Billy, can I uh, sleep in your bed? Yep. Probably like eight o'clock in the morning, just yeah. for reference. <laughs> Which, in central time, I'm coming from the West Coast. <laughs> I walk up and give him a little tap on the shoulder. Hey, buddy, we got to get up and go. And he looks at me, eyes crossed, like he looks like he just came out of this slumber, like Sleeping Beauty style. And I'm like, How'd you sleep? And he goes, That's the first blanket I've had in two days. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Dari? That's all you need to know. <laughs>